Today on the Rita Made Me Do It show. We have to have lived experiences in order for us to develop new skills. So like to cultivate more self-love, to learn how to set better boundaries, to practice vulnerability, we have to have a lived experience of those things. So you have to do it, even though you don't have the feelings yet. But in doing it, you are doing it with a clear awareness that it is part of a process of building this internal emotional experience and being able to recognize that we don't feel certain things, right? Like you have to know that because if you're just doing all the things, unconsciously you're doing the things in order to feel worthy, right? Instead of like, I'm doing these things even though I'm not a hundred percent, I don't always feel my worthiness I don't always feel like my self-love is where I'd like it to be, but I'm going to try this thing because if I felt worthy, this is, I think, the way I would act. Because of Rita, I got on the news. Because of Rita, I had 15 speaking engagements last year. Because of Rita, I've become a six-figure business owner. Because, because of Rita, because of Rita I'm I've doubled my revenue by doubling my clients. I'm Rita business strategist, speaker, and success coach, also known as the gal who went on 35 dates in 35 days and blogged all about it. And this is the Rita Mimi Do It Show, where every week I bring you the real information about what it takes to go all in on your dreams so that you can build a profitable business and live a positive life. Some weeks I'll have a guest and others it'll be just you and me, like we're out on my deck sharing a bottle of wine the conversation, yeah, it'll be that real. If you have ever doubted yourself as an entrepreneur, if you've ever thought this isn't going to work, I mean, ever, a moment of it, if you've ever found yourself playing the comparison game and looking around and thinking, ah, oh, why don't I have what they have? Or if you speak critically of yourself, if you hear in your language that you're always speaking critically of your abilities, or even if just sometimes you just seem to be overextending yourself, putting everybody else before you in your personal life, in your business life. I mean, whatever these things are that come up that kind of get in our way, of our business. Today's episode is one that you will not want to miss because I have with me Esther Boykin. So this name may be familiar because you guys heard her in episode one. She was one of the people who interviewed me to get the real story out about the breakup that led to 35 dates and 35 days. And also I mentioned her in my last week episode about the dark side of success, which has been very popular and it's received so many wonderful emails. Thank you so much. It was a topic that I just knew I had to share. But Esther's the reason why all of that started happening. And so I thought this is a perfect time to have her on. And I'm really excited to introduce you to her. She runs an incredible, thriving uh, therapy practice with multiple offices in the D.C. area. She's also the founder of an initiative called Therapy is Not a Dirty Word. She is one of the volunteers for Sidewalk Talk, a public listening program. And it just her story is incredible. Her business is incredible. But the way that she talks about relationships and including relationships with yourself, um, I think you're just going to love this episode. So for those of you who don't know, I used to do a weekly show with Esther, like a Facebook Live show called We Get You, You Got This, where we would talk about, I mean, all kinds of topics. We would chat about you know, business and life and kind of you know some, some current events. And I've been missing 
that show. So I'm really glad to have you here. We kind of put it on hiatus and um, and it, it's still on hiatus. Like, <laughs> still on hiatus, but, but I'm really glad to be here uh, with you, Esther. So thank you for a joining me coming back it'll be fun but i did want to like you know i kind of miss like the banter with you just about things that are going on so i thought we'd just jump in to current events a little bit given what we're in the middle of right now which is like the coronavirus season coronavirus right um and so we're smack in the middle if you're listening to this whenever you're listening to this this is you know i will date this one this is in march of 2020 and we're smack in the middle of coronavirus. Everything is shutting down. People are self-quarantining. I mean, we heard that Tom Hanks and his wife, Rita Wilson, have the coronavirus, right? They're self-quarantining mm-hmm. together. And that got me talking with Chuck, right, who has now been told to basically telework, you know, for the foreseeable Indefinitely. future. And I also work from home, right, every day. Mm. And so now wow. every, everybody's staying in their house. And this just made me think, like, okay, there are a lot of couples who are about to be, like, confined to their homes for two weeks straight with the possibility of everything around them being shut down. So what advice do you have for them to navigate, you know, asking for a friend <laughs> being stuck in the house every minute of every day with their significant other potentially? Wow. Right? Well, first, uh, as a just a side tangent, if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, but is Rita good for business advice? Rita is excellent. And this is exactly why. So earlier today, I was like, huh, I hadn't really considered this. Like, we don't really have a plan. Like, what if clients don't come in? And you literally just reframed it that everyone will be calling for teletherapy because they are stuck at home teleworking with their partners. Yeah. So right? thank you for that little, like, <laughs> sometimes you just need someone else no to problem. give you a quick, like, kick to, like, shift your mindset. Like, this this coronavirus is really going to be great for business. Yeah. I mean, not that we want to capitalize on the coronavirus, but at the same time, people no. are, people are going to have very real problems that they need solved during this time. Yeah. And you're a relationship therapist. So this is one. So what advice do you have for couples that are like, oh, okay. Or even, you know, the, the parents who now the kid, you know, schools are closed. I mean, schools are closed. Schools like, are closed. Like not just colleges, like the schools here in Virginia have started closing for two or three weeks, right? So now there are parents who are going to be stuck at home when they're, I say stuck at home, like it's, it's, but you know, stuck at home with their kids. And then let's add in the third element, like uh, the entrepreneurs who, who try to build their business all day and now their kids or their spouse or their whatever are home. So like just for entrepreneurs and then for people in general navigating being stuck at home with their family and everything that could come from it, like what is some advice that you have for people? Okay. Yes. So in all seriousness, this is actually like a, it is a big deal. Um, And I think it's a big deal for a couple of reasons. So first, the most simple that I think is going to apply to everybody, which is that we all need breaks from the people that we love. You need a break where you talk to other people about other things and are not constantly looking in the face of your significant other and equally your children. And, you know, bless all of you who are going to be looking at both your partner and all your children. Because <laughs> most of the schools are, they're closing with the plans of a very, to basically make kids stay home and go to school online as well. So it's a lot of togetherness. So I think partially, first and foremost, just acknowledge that. Like, it doesn't mean that your marriage or your your parenting ability is terrible because you are annoyed and do not want to have to see this person all the time. Like, that's natural. We 
we're designed to have multiple relationships and have space from each other. So like acknowledge it, don't shame yourself or the other person, whoever is the first to admit that they're not looking forward to this much together time. And then you got to figure it out. You got to have time where you're just like not, you're in separate rooms, you're doing other things and like, and recognize that might be different. If you're used to being gone eight, 10, 12 hours a day at work and school and whatever, then whatever time you spend in the house, maybe you always do spend that together. You need to have like other things to do. So stock up on your books, go do other things, yeah. build your, be bi- build your business. Any- no, but it's like, build your business. maybe this is the time that we should start our podcast club or something like that, right? Yeah. Virtual wine yeah. dates on Zoom with everybody. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So in the same way that, you know, Rita helped me immediately like shift my mindset around like, oh, this could be bad for business to like, oh, this actually could be great. It's like, it's an opportunity, right? right? Like not to say it's great, but it's an opportunity to explore different things. Like teletherapy is something newish in my my business. And this is an amazing opportunity for us to like explore it and like kind of go all in on that in a way that we probably wouldn't have if we weren't in this situation. And so look for the same thing. Like if there are things that you've been thinking about in terms of hobbies for yourself as an individual or changing the way you interact with the people who you live with, like this is a great, you know, when you're stuck together, it's a great opportunity. And then I will also make a plug for people who are anxious. If you have any kind of like trauma, anxiety, any of those kinds of illnesses, this, if you're listening, then you in the middle of something like coronavirus. Yeah that is likely to be a trigger and it's likely to make life a little bit harder. And then we add in the layer of being stuck at home or not being able to do our normal routine. And so a lot of self-compassion and then a lot of empathy and compassion for the people you love who may be sort of struggling as well. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. You should be talking about this all over social media yeah. and all over the news. Like as long as the news yeah. stations are staying open, um, you should, cause I think CBS like had to shut down because of a Corona like exposure, but like, yeah. you know, you should be mm-hmm. taught because this is, this is going to be, a, it's going to be a really real thing for at least a couple of weeks. And so there's, but teletherapy, you, I mean, I talked about how, in the last episode, I talked about how we had a conversation and you were basically like, after I was like, well, what will I do? And you're like, girl, you need you need a therapist and I can't be your therapist. And then I got onto Talkspace, right? Basically teletherapy. And it's been super convenient and it's been great. And like to have somebody like you, like, a, you know, a full, like a therapist's office that is local that after this like passage, yeah. you could go in, you could meet in person, you could do what I, I mean, it's great. So I, you know, I'm all for you expanding your business with this opportunity because I think it's good. Um, but let's also talk about the singles, right? Because like the way we kind of got to know each other was I was running a singles group and I heard you were like a dating coach. I mean, I knew you were a therapist, but a dating coach as well. And um, there was a potential of me like being on a show that you did back then. But the buzz in the dating community, right, that I've seen floating around in all these coaching groups and matchmaker groups and all this, singles are like, what should I do about dating in the age of coronavirus, right? Like, should I not go out? Do I just freeze dating? Do I stop looking? Like, do I I go but not, like, hold hands (laughs) or, like, kiss someone? Do I I not go? Like, does this, like, put a freeze on all singles everywhere dating or should they still be doing something to advance their – their dating life or is this just a great way for them to be you know not lazy but like not have to do anything uncomfortable and like yeah avoid it like through the coronavirus (laughs) so like there is something about i just found that conversation so interesting it's something that i wouldn't be thinking about anymore but it's a big buzz with singles with like 
what do I do with my dating life for the foreseeable, you know, next month, two months, three months? Do I just not date anybody because of Corona? Like, what what are your thoughts on that? Um, <laughs> right. See, another. I had like highly. Well, listen, I had some highly inappropriate. I was like, oh, that's not my approach at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are things no, that you can do, you know, but. <laughs> I think, yeah, like, well, I think sort of, and I'm being a little facetious, but not really. Like, I think send out a questionnaire. Like, you know, if you just came back from a trip in a place where we know there's a bunch of cases, then we probably should postpone our date yeah. until I'm sure that you're healthy, right? Like, I think it's like anything else, like be safe, be, you know, ask some questions, but also let's not use this as an opportunity to sort of indulge the parts of ourselves that want to avoid, as you said, uncomfortable situations. For a lot of people, dating is uncomfortable. This is a good excuse to not go on a first date or to not or to ghost somebody, right? Or to like not have the uncomfortable conversation on the like third or fourth or fifth date. Right. Or not even and, to set up your online dating profile because what's the point if I'm not going to go out on a date anytime soon so I don't have to use right. it or read it or, you know, like be part of yeah. it. So it's like, it's very, it is interesting though, right? Because you're, I mean, you know, maybe find like an outdoor cafe and sit at least a meter here, a meter apart. And then, you know, <laughs> you might not want to kiss on the first date just in case, you know, like you might want to like yeah. wave and say yeah. that kiss. But um, yeah, I just, so I talk about these things at first because you are a relationship and kind of um, marriage, you know, a therapist and family therapist. And so you're asked an off, you're asked all the time to speak on things around couples and communication and, you know, everything from marriage from like togetherness and intimacy to how to handle cheating and even dating with singles and you're, you know, you're, but today what I really want to talk with you about is what I think is the most important relationship that we all really have, which is the relationship with ourself, which is not something okay. that normally, you know, out in the, I mean, I know that that's the core of having a good relationship with anyone else, but that's not like on the news or in a book, like that's not how Esther is going to necessarily be quoted. It's going to be more the dynamics between <laughs> the people, right? But especially because as an entrepreneur, right, the most important asset I think of our business is ourself. And therefore we have to really take care of ourselves in order to have a we good business. Do. So I'm wondering, do you agree or do you disagree with this statement? And I have my own thoughts on it. I'm going to share it after yours, right? But this is a statement we okay. hear, and I'm just curious what your thoughts are, which is no one can love you as much as you love yourself. I get the underlying idea. And I think the intention is right in terms of like, I don't think that that's actually true, though. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Yeah. I don't think that is true. Yeah. Other people oftentimes see in us things that we struggle to see about ourselves. Other people can love you immensely, far beyond the love that you have like cultivated for yourself. What I do think is true is that you are going to struggle to receive love that is greater than the love you have for yourself. Girl, I wrote that down right there, right after that <laughs> question, because I was like, well, how about this one then? And this is why we do a show together, because that's it. Right? It's like, I think, right, it, and I kind of wrote it a little differently, but I don't think you can love others better than you love yourself, right? Your capacity to kind of like, mm -hmm. to allow them in and to receive love, which then you kind of give back, right? Becomes a little, if you're not in love with yourself, right? But I think that that includes business. So like, I think that mm -hmm. your capacity to love your business is also almost determined on your capacity to receive based on your love for yourself, right? If you take your yeah. take business as like a person. And so, you know, um, mm -hmm. 
so I think that like one thing that we both agree on is that it's not the lack of information or lack of knowledge that is stopping people from growing their business or being as successful as they want to as an entrepreneur. It's more we're getting in our own way, right? We, our relationship with us and everything about us is like mucking up the road and like blocking it, the path to success. But what does that mean to you? Like when you hear we get in our own way, we get in our own way in a tangible way, what does that mean to you? Hmm. I mean, I think that we get in our own way in the sense that we carry inside of us a lot of narrative and a lot of stories and a lot of like sort of self-limiting beliefs. And so that's the way in which it's those things that get in the way of what we consciously are setting out to do, right? Like we make all these conscious intentions and goals and we're pursuing stuff. And the part of us that's getting in our own way is often like, is very unconscious. It's these other things that we've carried around for a long time, whether it's from past relationships, childhood, you know, social pressures or or cultural expectations. Like that's the stuff that we, that we kind of don't acknowledge. And then that gets, that's what shows up as like us getting into our own, being our own obstacles basically. Yeah. And when it does, right. Like to take it kind of even to it, like a, like a, not Mm -hmm. a tangent, like a subsection of that. Right. Yeah. Then it shows because you're not trusting yourself because of all of this stuff. That's So it's very hard to make decisions or see strategies through or trust, you know, to get through the discomfort to do something or feel okay with an action, right? And I think that that that's all tied to this concept that we talk about, you know, of self self love and loving yourself, which we're going to get to in a minute. But why do you think that people have, I mean, a hard time trusting themselves? Is it just because like the past history or I mean, everybody's like, oh, like, I don't, I don't know. I can't do that. I'm going to fail. Or people are going to say no, or this isn't going to work. Or like, I don't, I won't be good at that. I can't do that as well. Right. Like that seems everybody has different backgrounds, different upbringings, different narratives, different limiting beliefs, Mm -hmm. but it all seems to manifest in almost the exact same fear, right? So why is it that we all just inherently have this difficulty to trust ourselves? So part of it is social, right? Like it's societal. There's a lot of messages, regardless of who you are. I think most people fall into a category of whatever, you know, whether it's around gender, or socioeconomics, or education, or race, or culture, or religion, like most of us fall into at least one bucket that there are sort of social messages that get in our way and create those sort of fears. But I think on a more like human universal level is we simultaneously long to be seen and connected to other human beings. And we are terrified of that sort of rejection. And so I think that's sort of oftentimes at the root of the fear is like, if I, and it doesn't always look that clean cut, if that makes sense. Like I can explain it in a way people are like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense, but that's not me. Right. But the fear shows up in a lot of different ways. It doesn't show up in a very sort of linear, easily understood way. But at the end of it, it is sort of like, I, I want people to like me and I want people to see me and think I'm valuable. And I don't always trust that that's true. Well, in episode one. Or that it's going to happen. Well, in episode one, when you and Lindsay interviewed me and really got the real story out about the breakup that led to 35 dates, right? And then in the last episode, 
right? I didn't give the whole story. Rita is allowed to keep (laughs) some things private around like why we were having this conversation around therapy. You know, yes, the piece I shared was very real about feeling just really disconnected with myself in time, but all of that, right? But like all of that together, I was also going through that whole, what it tied to without giving, if you just listen to episode one and listen to the last episode, everybody, like listen to it. But I also struggled from that and I still do, right? I feel worthy when dot, 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 right? Or I feel successful when dot, dot, dot. But my answers to the dot, dot, dot are external things. When somebody says this or treats me like this or wants this from me or when I've done this thing for another person, right? So then, and I think that that's pretty universal, right? And then So you're looking to results to be the indicator of your worth or your value or your success. So when the results don't come, right, it feels like a failure. It feels like you've failed and you've done something wrong, right? So we're looking at other people's actions and approval and Mm -hmm. validation for our happiness, right? And like that is um, because why, right? Because like you said, I think culture, society, news, marketing. I mean, there are industries that are really dependent on you not loving yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Like yes. they bank <laughs> on you not loving yourself so that you'll keep buying all their books or you'll buy their program mm-hmm. or you'll do their that thing so that but th- those things aren't trying to solve. Like you are trying to help people love themselves. <laughs> You're trying to help people see their yes. own worth and see their own value. But these things are like, they're not giving that solution because they just want you to buy them. They want you to think it is like the external thing, right? That happens. Right. There is, a yeah, like all this focus on, and, you know, I mean, it, I think it's the human condition. We inherently make mistakes, which means that every parent has made some mistake, has done something. There's always a person. So like generation after generation, like we're always kind of, there's always a little bit of doubt around our worth. Yeah, just sort of universally, like to varying degrees, depending on what your personal experiences are. And as human beings, we like things that are quick and easy. So it is both an industry that is like makes billions of dollars off of our insecurity and off of our struggle to come to terms with like our worth is in fact just inherent and not tied to what we do, what we have, who we know. Yeah. How people need us or whatever, you know, however that manifests for us. And even, right, like I share about how in the last episode that I was, you know, I didn't share with anybody except you, right? Which is like that I was feeling that way, that I was feeling like I had somehow failed because I had achieved this big milestone and then I was completely (laughs) unhappy and I felt shame around that maybe is the right word or like I didn't want to tell people because in my head it was like, well, I know better than this. Like, I know to do the work. I know to do the mindset work. I know to do the whatever it is I need to do. And I'm still like feeling sad and I'm still not doing it. It's like, I was embarrassed about what people would think of me, right? Which would, again, equate to my my worth. I was tying my worth to what other people would even think about me wanting to go explore my worth in like therapy, right? It was just like, Uh so do you think, you know, do you think though that like fear, right? Fear of what people think this is this is a so let me I was thinking about this over coffee really early this morning and I I was going to ask you this question then I had a completely different answer to it than I thought which is this whole they're books right they're they're books written about give no fucks and like um yeah, uh yep, you yep, know yep. just like don't worry about what other people think do your thing find you but do you think that fear of what people think could actually be a good thing 
and I'll give you my thoughts on it. Like, do you think that having that fear and I'll just I want you to answer. I don't want to tell you my answer okay. yet. Yeah. But do you think that that could be good? So on some level, there is a little I mean, from a, like a social perspective. Yes. I mean, some of what keeps us as just humans in line is our sort of is social norms, right? Is like peer, I always tell, would tell parents like peer pressure isn't always a bad thing, right? Like if you look at middle schoolers, like there's also peer pressure if you happen to be in a class where everybody studies to study, which is good for you. And so I don't think it's always the worst thing ever in general, but I do think it undermines more often than not it becomes, it's like this sort of insidious thing, right? Like perfect example. So I used to have a garden in my backyard and I started growing mint, which is great. Like the wind would blow and it smells like fresh and minty and it like could withstand anything. And I'm a terrible gardener. So it was great. Amen. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Wonderful. Right. Like, so the mint is good until the mint was not good because eventually it overgrew And the other things that I had been cultivating, it literally choked them out. And all I really had was like a six foot by six foot plot of mint. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that that's sort of it. It's like a little bit can be helpful in terms of like helping to motivate us to, to do some things that in the long run are good for us, but in the short run don't have immediate reward. So sometimes that's what like worrying about what people think of us or like that social pressure can help us. But in general, I don't always, it's, but a lot of times it then, it requires us to be thoughtful about who we worry about, whose opinion of us are we most concerned yeah, about? Yeah. Now that's I'm, where people get I'm going to give you my thought process this morning <laughs> over coffee on yeah. this, which was like, oh, fear it. of other people's opinion, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, but wait a minute, you know, I think that that's actually a good thing because at least when I was looking at every time I've been worried about what other people think, it's because mm-hmm. I'm about to do something really uncomfortable or risky or vulnerable that's opening uh, me up to something, right? Which is why I'm worried about what other people will think because to me it's a risky, scary, vulnerable thing. Yeah. So if I feel that feeling, chances are it's like, oh, I'm about to be vulnerable, right? Like I like the yeah. therapy thing, right? Like, oh, like I'm worried about what other people will think if I tell them that I'm feeling sad about, you know, not not knowing what to do with all the free time and all the money yeah. <laughs> that I'm making, right? Like <laughs> I'm, right? I'm wor- worried about what people will think of me. And then I'm worried about what people will think of me if I share this story about, you know, therapy. And I'm worried about, you know, what my mom will say. <laughs> I'm worried about all this yes. stuff. And that usually is the indicator where you're about to do something vulnerable, right? Or like out of your mm-hmm. comfort zone and stretch yourself. So yes. you, I think that it can be a good indicator that you should actually do that, right? So I think it's not yeah. so much not feeling the fear of other people's opinions as it is like being able to evaluate it and push past it. But I just, I had that. Yeah. I was like, that's a brilliant revelation. Like, that's yeah. like, 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 I mean, no. but then I'm curious, what is vulnerability? Because the authenticity and vulnerability are two words that are thrown around like spaghetti noodles on a wall, right? Like lately. And so what does vulnerability mean to you? Vulnerability is taking the risk to let your truest self be seen. Yeah. That's what I would think. I like that. I mean, that's sort of a simple. Which requires you to love who you are, right? Because otherwise you're not going to want it to be seen. So this gets us back to this concept that we've been kind of dancing around a little bit of love of self because you have to really 
trust yourself, right, to be able to do something mm-hmm. like that or to be able to be vulnerable or to move through that fear of other people's opinions to do the thing. But what does loving yourself really mean to you? Is it like, I love my appearance. I love how beautiful I am. Or is it that I really love the way that I eat with a fork? <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but like, I like to make up the weirdest things, right? Or it's like, I love my behaviors. I love my appearance. I love, what does that really mean? Because I think we say that phrase all the time, but we don't really mm-hmm. stop to think about what it really means to love yourself. What does it mean to you? I think to me, loving yourself is truly about coming to a place of fully accepting and believing that you have value and worth simply because you exist. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you, and you breathe. Just be, yeah. Cause you're here and you're breathing and therefore we can love ourselves and continue to be imperfect, flawed human beings. And I think loving ourselves similar to loving another person, right? Like I love my kids. They are not perfect people. They drive me crazy. They have bad habits. They do things that I find annoying. But I think that I see in them the potential for growth. Yeah. And I always believe in their value as human beings, right? And like, that's what to me, self-love is about getting to that place with ourselves. Yeah, like I can be messy and a total disaster and be making mistakes and bad decisions. And I can also simultaneously, right? Like, be worthy and be valuable and mm-hmm. like right receive love give love be loved and love myself but so then right when you know self love is a huge huge phrase thing right i mean a huge industry yes. out there huge so then it becomes well how do you do it and so what you what i hear most people go to like you said most most go to oh self love is about liking everything about yourself and that's not true like you don't have to like all the things about yourself to yeah. to do that but then likewise how do you do it how do you start loving yourself people start shifting over to like self care a little bit and they're like oh well you take yeah. bubble baths in the middle of the day and you eat chocolate or you just like mm-hmm. go to therapy and work on a problem. Like I had a client once who said to me, Rita, when when am I going to be done? Like when have I read enough? When, when should I not like be encountering this issue of self-love or whatever anymore? Yeah. Right? When should I like when is it over? Like when can I just move? Like it's never going to come up again. Cute. Right? Like yeah, right. It's like so it's not like a one and done thing and it's not bubble baths and it's not, you know, chocolate. So this whole like fully accept who you are, accept your value that you have value and worth because you breathe air. How do you how do you do it? Like, what is the tangible way that somebody would start to do that? Because I see it more as a lifelong practice and not like, here's 10 exercises and this is all you do. Repeat them three times a day for two weeks and you're done. So like, how would you tell people if somebody said, well, Esther, this sounds great, but how do you actually do this? Uh, It is a lifelong practice. Um, And I think sort of circling back to sort of the vulnerability piece is, I like the word practice because it is a thing that you practice, right? Like it's something that you do consistently and and vulnerability is learning how to select with whom it's safe to be vulnerable and then actually continuously being in practice around being vulnerable because part of what allows us to accept our flawed selves as worthy is having the experience of having that reflected back and that happens in relationships. So a big part of it is about our ability to connect with other people which is sort of always the interesting part, right? Like loving other people and allowing them to love you helps you cultivate more self-love. And the more you love yourself, the easier those kinds of relationships become to like create and sustain. 
pain. And I think in really very practical terms, it's, it's, it is committing first and foremost to like, this is an ongoing thing that I'm going to do. And so thinking about like, where are the places or the ways in which you feel your self-love doesn't show up fully for you? I was about to answer the question. Like I, for a minute, I'm just looking at you like I'm in therapy right now. I'm like, oh, so totally in health and fitness and the way that I take care of my body and eat, right? And exercise. Yes, that would be the way that I think that my lack of self-love is probably showing up the biggest, right? And like, I'm taking care of myself now, but I mean, over time and historically, that's the area where it shows up the most. So just to put that out there, because I literally was like, okay, like I'm I'm in there. I'm in teletherapy right now. So, okay. You're like, I have an answer. <laughs> no, but I'm so it's super funny because that was the example I was going to go to. Yeah. Because right? then that because then that creates tangible practices, right? Like, so if you're like, oh, part of the ways in which, so like for me, I will join you in the vulnerability here, right? Like for me, one of the ways in which self love doesn't show up is is also around like health and wellness. Like I don't, my first instinct is not to create space for me to rest and to be with like my the more stressed and not well I feel, the less likely I am to like actually reach out for things that make me feel better, that like help me take care of myself better. So I'm not super gentle with myself in a lot of ways, right? Like I don't make an effort to drink a lot of water. I don't, I will go and not get enough sleep. I will, you know. And so for me, one of the ways that I work at cultivating more self-love is I get massages. I will, you know, every couple of weeks, I kind of evaluate where like I look back at my calendar and go like, how long have my work days been? When was the last day I had a day where I did nothing, where I wasn't like obligated to or responsible for something? Taking days where like I lay on my couch and watch movies and take naps and or sleep till noon or whatever it is or meal prep so I'm eating like healthier foods. Those are the tangible steps, but I have to like recognize like, oh, here's a place where my self-love doesn't show up. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I really like that. Like, and that's, you know, part of sitting with yourself, I guess, is, you know, you told me that I needed to do and I'm like, this sounds terrible, Mm -hmm. but this is why like sitting with yourself is really examining things like this. Like, where is this showing up? This lack of love for myself from health to the hours I'm working to the way I'm being in my marriage to, you know, like how I'm, um, treating my dog or, you know, whatever. Right. Like, I don't know, but I love that so much because it's so easy to say, uh, you know, well, your ability to give and receive love can be a really good indicator and like a great way to start growing more into self-love. But it's like that is in a way dependent on somebody else being there and somebody else receiving as well and participating. So these ways of like, oh, this is what I can do. I can exercise. I can drink water. I can start going to bed at eight o'clock. I can actually take time to wash makeup off my face before I get in the bed and fall yeah. asleep, right? It's That's little- a crazy idea. Right? Like little things like that, right? I don't, I haven't, it's like, thank God for makeup wipes. <laughs> and even then, sometimes it's like, nope, <laughs> Sorry, sorry, face. Um, But yeah, so I, you know, and here's the thing, right? Back to the one and done is that every time something will call it bad, you you know how I feel. I don't really think there's anything bad, but negative, right? What we interpret as negative. And there are sad things and all of that that happen. But every time you kind of have to start, sometimes you have to start from scratch all over again, right? Like I have seen you, right? I've seen you go through a lot in your life and in your business. Mm -hmm. and, And every time it's like, 
oh, okay, so now this is a new way of like, I'm going to have to build my self-love. I'm going to have to like get through this. So there are many times when you start from scratch, it's not a failure. It's like you have to just kind of like return to the practice if you haven't been doing it or in a different way. Or so where are like, where are some times in your life that you like, what are some things that I guess I'm like, okay, these are like the real personal questions. So it's like, share what you've struggled with. Right? I want you to just talk, just tell us everything tell you struggle with. No, tell me all your things. Whole, I need, I have a whole podcast full of my struggles. So I need you to talk about, it. no, but share what you've struggled with. And then what are some things that you have done to get from there, right, to here, where wherever here is in your personal life? So one of the, I mean, I'm thinking about the self-love and, you know, like we both just gave like super tangible examples, right. Of, I think a place that most people on some level can relate to like feeling like, Oh, I don't show myself love in like health and wellness or whatever. So one of the places where, which was particularly hard as a therapist to come to terms with was recognizing. So a little bit of backstory, right. I was super young when I got married, I got married like right out of high school. We had two kids, um, through all it's interesting just to highlight when I tell you that my, one of the ways I didn't love myself very well was not resting. I was a full-time undergrad, full-time graduate student through all of that. So super young, married, two little kids put, you know, my husband, my ex-husband, but my husband at the time put ourselves through college, grad school, bought a house, did all like, I mean, I think I was 20, gosh, six, 25, 26 when we bought our first house. And like at that point had just, was just about to finish my master's degree and like, whatever. So if you had asked me then, I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, I could exercise more. I could eat a little bit better, but like, I got it. Like, no, I was like not sleeping. I was not doing a lot of things. I'm fine. This is fine. This is fine. Yes. This is (laughs) is fine. fine. You know, my favorite little gift of a guy, like everything's on fire. Yep. That is is how I function. (laughs) Well, you said something, well, you said something really interesting about that, right? Cause you're like, oh, like you know, I I think I'm doing well, like all of these, but like on the whole, like I'm not, I have a happy marriage and I'm like doing well in school, you know, and I have all of that. So then, so then when did you, like, how does it get to, these were the things that I had to struggle through, right? Like, tell me about that a little bit. Like, so part of it is also just like age and experience, right? So like I start, you know, I I started practicing as a therapist and I start building my business and I get a little older and you, you know, kids get older, like you start to kind of have, I think, Age and experience will invite you to take a hard look at who you really are and the life that you've created for yourself. And really it's, and I always say it's an invitation because we, not everybody takes it to really examine, like, are these things aligned? And like, increasingly I was just finding, I was like, I feel called to do a certain kind of work and to do these things. And I feel like there are parts of myself that are not welcome or embraced or honored or have any room in my life. And so like, that's a much more subtle kind of self-love that I really had to come to terms with. Like, oh, I would like, I was in a marriage that wasn't, that had grown to a place that it was not supportive, not just of my business, but like of the person and the values that I had. And that's not, you know, it's not about making like my ex a bad person. It's, but we genuinely see a lot of the world and like what partnership should be and like what business should be about and where we wanted to go next as being really different. And what I, I, for, there was a period of time where I was really angry, like 
in the marriage of feeling like, why aren't you being this way? And what I, on the other side of my divorce, had to come to terms with was I had sacrificed big chunks of who I was by prioritizing everyone else above myself. Yeah. So even though I had, you know, I got older and, you know, as a woman, you should, <laughs> most of us know, like you get a little older, the metabolism starts slowing down, yeah. like all of the like poor eating, like, so like I was eating better and I was working out and I was like, I was doing the, as you were talking about, like I was doing a lot of self-care things, Yeah. but there was an internal piece of having to come to terms with like, even though I'm doing these other things that externally look like I'm taking care of myself and like I'm have this immense level of self-love because it's a continuum, right? Like it's not that I didn't love myself, but that there was an area in which I needed to be able to show myself a different kind of value where I was able to say like, oh, this is actually who I am. These are the things that I really value, but I was willing to be silent about those or allow those things to be dismissed. And like, that's a really hard place to come to terms with, I think. And requires a different kind of work. It required, you know, it required some therapy. It required me to do a lot more self um, reflection and introspection around like, who am I? What is this life that I want to like have? And what am I willing to put on the line in order to acknowledge, oh, I contributed to us being in this place. Yeah. And I'm not willing to do that anymore. Yeah, because it's like in the anger, it's like, why won't he do this? And why is he not doing that? But it's like, but also I'm doing (laughs) this and I'm choosing to be here and I'm choosing to stay in it when he's not doing this. And I'm I'm not doing anything necessarily different or like, you know, it's like all all of that, right? So I will say that invitation that you talk about, it's an invitation to like sit and evaluate yourself. Like it's coming into my house like Harry Potter, right? You remember that scene where like like the family just keeps throwing away the invitation to the school because they don't want (laughs) him to see it until finally like 5,000 like invitations (laughs) come down the chimney every minute. It's like that feels like what's happening in my life. I keep sending it back. It's like, you don't get to ignore. And it reaches that point where you can't ignore it anymore. Right. So one thing you said was, you know, for entrepreneurs, we we were talking before and you said uh, like through a text and you said, well, we think that a lack of self-love looks like insecurity or a toxic relationship or that sabotaging kind of destructive Mm -hmm. behavior. But really, it's more subtle more often, which is like, we just kind of like abandon our needs or we, you know, place everybody ahead of us or we just ignore what's good for us or we dismiss our desires as being unimportant or not as important as someone else, right? So if someone's sitting out there going, yeah, I'm that people pleaser, right? I'm that people pleaser. Mm -hmm. I put everybody else ahead of me and I never take care of my needs. And like, yeah, I'm scared to speak up in a relationship or even to my clients or to whoever, right, about what I need. Like, so are there some exercises or some resources or something that you would like what resources or what exercises did you do in these moments to actually have that internal shift? So yeah, sitting with yourself and asking like what do I need more of? What do I need less of? But like was there was there anything that really helped you more than something else during those times? So two really good questions which like I think literally make them have it. Well, one is, you know, one, which I will always remember my own therapist asking me and, you know, as a therapist, like she asked and I was like, I don't have an answer. That's a problem. I will see you next week. <laughs> I got to go home. I got to go. Just, I got to go. Bye. I got to go. Bye. I got to go. I was like, oh my. Get out of here. <laughs> but it literally was 
what makes you happy, right? And like, there's lots of ways to ask that question. Like, what do you, you know, what do you like to do? What makes you happy? What fires you up? What are your passions? What allows you to like, sort of, you know, what nourishes you, however you need to phrase it. But if you're, A, if you have no answer, like there's not an immediate thing, or B, all of your answers involve someone else, that's like kind of a red flag and you need to go sit with your, like, and that it couldn't be, you need to go spend a weekend thinking about it. It might be like, oh, I'm going to spend the next six months consistently asking myself that question until I have answers. And I mean, and I, you know, I probably did that. I probably spent at least three or four months of like consistently coming back to that question because I didn't, I didn't have an answer. And the other thing that I probably ask most of my clients to do at some point or another is to get into a daily practice. Sometimes some of us need to do it twice daily where you ask yourself, how do I really feel? And you may need to print out as many people do a little like feelings list, list of feelings words, because the answer can't be, it shouldn't be tired and shouldn't be busy or happy or this. Yeah, I need, you know, I need that. I was just thinking about that. I need that list. Like my vocabulary around emotions is super limited. And that's such a great, in fact, I'll put a link because they're all over the place online. I'll put a link in the show notes to one of the, um, to one of these different feelings charts. Everybody out there, download one. It's really incredible to start realizing how many emotions there really are on the board. So many. So many. So many feelings. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm not actually angry all the time. That's good. (laughs) Like, yeah, yep. you're like, that's, that's not good. what it is. That's and so, when you get good at that, the follow up question to that is, Where do I feel it in my body? Mm. Because that those two things together will start to give you some answers to, like, Oh, okay, the rest of it is. And I know that those sound like very therapist answers, but coming up with the more tangible stuff requires that you are first connected to yourself, right? Because the, the answer of, like, what else, what do you need to do? is going to be different for different people, but it has to start with you feeling more connected to who you are as a person and your current like kind of emotional experience and landscape so that you then know what to do. Yeah. There's no way around this whole reconnecting, connecting with yourself. There's no, yeah, yeah, there's no way around it. I, um, (laughs) you know, it's interesting. (laughs) And then I think thinking about yourself as a child, like I, so I, Oh, oh, Lord, I, I didn't know that too. was a thing. No, I loved myself as a child. Surprise, surprise. I loved Rita yeah. as a child. So <laughs> so like, what did little Rita love to do? Yeah, you know, so I talked about this in an earlier episode, way earlier. Um, I think it was with, I forget, maybe Don Barton, who I think you know too. But like, um, yeah. yeah, they say that you're the most authentic at age like seven, right? Like around age mm-hmm. seven is like when you're your true, authentic, you're old enough that you've developed who you are, but you're young enough that like, nothing bothers you anymore, right? So I was thinking, like, who am I, like, at age seven, right? So, like, what I loved about myself was I (laughs) – surprised – I loved the spotlight, and I would – um I loved, like, talking, and I loved playing dress-up, and I would come downstairs with my Fisher-Price tape player microphone combo, right, back in the day, like, Mm -hmm. Gen Xers. Yeah, like, that was awesome, right, the little plastic thing. And I would come down the stairs dressed in, like, 18 of my mother's, like, nightgowns, like, three hats on and all the necklaces and shoes, and I would just go, hit it. And then I would just start, like, singing, right? So creative, make-believe, like, you know, like, being that performer, right? Like, and that Mm -hmm. freedom of just, like, 
allowing myself to do that in the moment and like being present and like so exploring things like that that was who i loved about rita at age seven ish right yeah yeah that's who i and we learned so much about reconnecting to ourselves by doing that right because and it's yeah and it's interesting like that's a good great example because so at the time, sort of the period of time that I'm thinking about that I was talking about where I was like, oh, wow, like I have put everybody ahead of me and there's like these parts, like, and I was still like really working at like being much more connected to like the full spectrum of who I was. I was at a time when I was starting to do more like interviews. So like I was doing some like Good Morning Washington and I was doing some TV and I was doing some other stuff and people would be like, wow, you seem like a natural, you seem like you really like it. I had just started, like I was doing some podcast interviews and I was like, so weird. Like, this is not my thing at all, but like, I like it and it feels really comfortable. And like, you know, I had a lot of narrative about that and what, what a therapist is supposed to do, what I personally was supposed to be able to do. And I will totally remember a few years later, my having a weird, you know, some random conversation with my mom about how I had finally given myself permission to really like it. And she was like, I didn't know that you were struggling with that. She was like, that's all you like to do as a kid. I too, as a Gen Xer, had my tape recorder and the microphone and I would go around interviewing people. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking that too. I love, I was like the journalist, a little school paper, like all of that. I loved all of that too. And so this makes so much sense to me. And so you realized, oh, I really had been doing that as a kid. I had been doing this this whole time Yeah, and just didn't know, didn't realize that that was a thing that was really important to me. And so I think it's being able to like kind of know that yeah. and know if you're struggling, like you can revisit that. And you I remember, yeah. yeah, I will always remember interviewing somebody and she had just left. She's a former editor at um, Girl Boss for people who are okay, familiar yeah. with that website. She had just left there and she was like, getting ready to release a tarot card deck, which seemed very unrelated to the work she was doing. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah. I loved it. Different. Yeah. But in our conversation, that's what she came back to. She was like, I had a dream. And I was, she's like, I, she talked about remembering herself as a little girl and that it was sort of like this interesting thing that some other person had introduced her to, but how much she loved it and like laying in the grass and looking at the cards and doing all of this stuff and how much of that was a big part of her reclaiming who she really was as an adult and with the direction of her career going forward. Yeah, that's really because the whole when the, who you are at age seven, that freeze came up at a time that I was feeling like, wow, I'm I have my business. It's going well. Like, but why am I feeling like a little like out of love with what I was doing at the moment? Because I really loved it, but I still felt like I was out of love with it. And I realized I had started introverting really hard, right? And I was like, Mm -hmm. yes, I was talking to people and coaching, but I wasn't speaking on stages. I wasn't um, doing this podcast. I hadn't started this podcast yet. Like, I wasn't creating things. I wasn't doing, you know. So all of a sudden, I was like, oh, how can I incorporate this, the creativity, the performer, the whatever, into what I'm doing as a coach? And then it was like, oh, yeah, I need to start speaking again and more. And oh, let me start a podcast because I love interviewing people. And I'm curious and I love learning about people. And like that had kind of stopped in the way, you know, so that's when the passion kind of got re I mean, passion, you know, got reignited and lit up inside of me again was when I did revisit that. And I was like, oh, how can I be that person now? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, all of this stuff, like the, the lack of of love for who you are and then the the way that that manifests in terms of not 
standing for what's good for you, right? Not like mm-hmm. putting yourself first. In terms of an entrepreneur, being a business owner, that kind of shows up as like, sure, I'll negotiate my rates, right? This is what I yeah. charge. And then it's like, but mm-hmm. yeah, you don't want to pay it? No problem. Let's just like knock that down to it's something be where I'm basically losing money every minute of our time together, right? Or it's um, not even asking for the sale, right? Like, oh, I'm yeah. not even going to offer. I'm not going to even let you know. <laughs> I don't, I don't even want to talk about my business like or, or no boundaries. So this is what I've been talking yeah. about all week in the all-in entrepreneur is the importance of boundaries and containers in your business in terms of like, um, for example, I, I had to stop. I, I shared in this. So if anybody's curious, there's a Facebook Live from yesterday about about this in the group from Wednesday, March 11th. But that was um, you can go find it in the group. But it was like, oh, I can't answer everybody's individual questions in the Facebook group anymore. Right. Because I was like an- right. I said I was answering all these questions. I was extending sales calls to be way longer than the time that they're mm-hmm. allocated for. I was extending all my client calls to be longer because I wanted to like exceed their expectations. I was coaching people before they were a client through like direct message or through Facebook messages. Right. Like hoping yeah. that if I gave them all this stuff that they would love me and they'd want to like. Right. Me. And then I was not ignoring my time block that I made, you know, all of this stuff, right? Not honoring. So the minute I set up boundaries, though, it was like, oh, I won't answer individual questions in the Facebook group. Instead, you have to get on the phone with me. And it's like, oh, and on the phone, I just help you get clear on the next steps. I don't coach you. You have to be a client for that. And it's like, oh, you're a client. I coach you, but here are the rules around the time. Like the minute that I started setting boundaries, right, was because I had kind of tapped into this self-love. So what advice So this is what's happening, right? For people who are experiencing doubt or imposter syndrome or they're comparing themselves to other people Mm -hmm. or they're not trusting themselves, you know, they have all this stuff going on. They're the ones that are losing money, not making sales, not asking people to work with them, not setting boundaries, feeling overwhelmed, feeling exhausted, putting everybody else first. So what advice would you give to someone who is sitting on the other side of whatever they're listening to saying, Yeah, like I want to build my business, but I am experiencing all of this doubt, imposter comparison, and it's showing up in all of these ways. Like, where would you tell them to start? It's like, here's the place you need to start. So that's the place you have to start. (laughs) Yeah. Is literally, first of all, being able to say that out loud to yourself. And then I think finding a, like, who's your safe person that you get to say that to. Who's going to both hold your hand and hold your feet to the fire about doing something about it? Because we need that. We need, we need compassionate accountability. We need somebody who's like, okay, I see that. I get it. And it's really, really hard. And I see you. And we've got to do something different. And, you know, you were talking, just talking about boundaries. Like that's so much of it is being able to, and this, the struggle with self-love is that it is we think we have to do one thing first in order to then do the next thing, right? Yeah. Once I X, then I can Y. That's always it. It's right. like the so, chick, what comes first? The chicken and the egg. Is it that I feel self-love and then I set boundaries? Or is it that I set boundaries and then I feel self-love? Like, right. Or is it both? And it's, right? it's both. Yeah. It's always both. Right? Always both. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Listen, the two things you're always going to hear from a therapist, <laughs> both and, because literally <laughs> everything in life is both and, mm-hmm. and we begin every answer with, well, it depends. 
Because it always does. <laughs> I know. It always does. It's like, it always does. There's best always- job ever. Well, it totally depends. So it's like, you know, it let's could rain, it, it could know. be sunny, and both and, and let's just. And like, we'll right. just go for that. It's going to be fine. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> this is fine. So we're going to yeah. figure this out. <laughs> but no, you're right. Like, and I think that's it. Thinking it's a either or, or like a first and. Like, oh, I and entrepreneurs mm-hmm. do this in so many areas, right? But this is why it's like, oh, well, after I do all the mindset work and I do all the journaling and I do all of this stuff and I'm at this place where I'm in full gratitude and full abundance mindset and full like love of myself and full confidence and what I have to give and full trust, then I can go out and get clients and I can make sales and I can speak. And then it's like, oh, and then other people are like, well, no, all I have to do is just keep speaking or keep having sales calls or keep doing then the self-love will just come, right? It will just come from those actions. It's like, not really. That's not the way it works, right? They're simultaneous. They're running in parallel at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. They happen in tandem and they and they feed tandem, into Tandem, that was the word I was right. In tandem, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like you have to do those things. So you have the, we have to, we have to have lived experiences in order for us to develop new skills. So like to cultivate more self-love, to learn how to set better boundaries, to practice vulnerability, we have to have a lived experience of those things. So you have to do it, even though you don't have the feelings yet. But in doing it, you are doing it with a clear awareness that it is part of a process of building this internal emotional experience and being able to recognize that we don't feel certain things, right? Like you have to know that because if you're just doing all the things, unconsciously, you're doing the things in order to feel worthy, right? Instead of like, I'm doing these things, even though I'm not a hundred percent, I don't always feel my worthiness. I don't always feel like my self-love is where I'd like it to be, but I'm going to try this thing because if I felt worthy, this is, I think the way I would act. There you go. So that is one of my practices now, which is every day I say, like when I'm starting to hesitate on something or I'm doing something, like there's just something that feels either way, not doing it or doing it. And it just feels, I don't know, chaotic or weird or whatever. Ungrounded, I I like to say. Well, if I felt worthy or if I felt enough, would I yeah. do this? So like if I'm not wanting to do it, I, I mean, I always want to do a Facebook Live. <laughs> but if I'm not wanting to do a Facebook Live, then I would say, well, if I felt enough, if I felt yeah. worthy, would I do a Facebook Live? And it's like, oh, if I felt like I was good enough or, you know, a solid enough speaker or I would get yes. enough attention or I would get like, then yes, I would do it. Then it's like, oh man, I need to, I, I need I to do, do it, it, right? I need to do yeah. it, right? So that's the test is like, if I felt worth this, if I felt worthy to receive, if I felt enough, if I felt like it would all work, if I felt like I was good enough to make this succeed and not fail, like, yeah. would I do it? And if the answer is yes, it's like, oh, oh there it well, is. It's a worthiness, uh, enoughness yeah. thing. Turns out I got to go do this thing now. I got to go do this thing, damn it. So um, I was talking to a client who was like, um, well, she's in a program of mine that I run. Yeah. Um, and she said, uh, well, I'm trying to get her. She was like, oh, I'm scared to bring this to the group because they're all so f- much further ahead than me in my business. And I don't want to look like the person that just doesn't even know how to do this thing. Right. And I said, the advice that I gave her, I said, hey, like first, everybody's in that group to help everybody. Right. You also learn from people at different stages. But although your definition of somebody being ahead of you is because you're looking at certain 
measurements to be like, oh, that she's further along right. in business than I am. Whereas you're further along in other things than some of them are, right? Like you, ha- we all have different strengths. We all have different skills. We're all good at some things and we're all bad. So when you start feeling like, well, I'm not good and she's good at this and the doubt and the compare, it's like to change your perspective a yeah. little bit and say, well, we, we're all like good at some stuff and we're all bad at some stuff. And we're all like, we're always all, all of us are further along than somebody and we're always further behind than somebody, right? Like that's the way it works. So uh, a question, I think that on these podcasts, people are really good at saying, and yes, this is my strength and here's how I've succeeded and here's what I did. But like my question for you is what are you not good at? What are things that you know you're not good at? Because that is also part of self-love, I think is owning your weaknesses and being able to say, yeah, this is where I I am not good. And also as a CEO, right? Because you're like, this is what I need, or a service provider. This is what I need to outsource. This is what I need a team for. But in general, I think part of self-love is saying, and I still, I'm not good at this and I love myself, like, and it's fine and I accept it and I'm fine. So what are some things you're not good at? Oh, things I am not good at. I am not good at details kind of tedious, which is always problem. That's why, which is you know, that's why we work well together, but that's why we work well together. So Esther and I run the reset retreat together and um, that's why we work well yeah. because I'm super detailed. I'm like, okay, so like we need these markers and <laughs> we need post-it yeah. notes and we need this and here's the data. Th- and you're like definitely bigger picture, right? Where I'm more detail. And so, yeah, yeah it's, I agree. It's totally, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It is not a thing I do well. I do not, I do not so enjoy it. What else? What else do you not do well, um, Esther? Because I don't believe you don't do it. I know you don't do things. Yeah, so I'm just curious what else they are. What else are they? Um, let's see. So, you know, the other thing that I think I, that I have had to work really hard on is, um, which is an interesting thing as a therapist, is just, is vulnerability. And in, for me, it's particularly vulnerability around like needing help and support. Which, of course, you know, I think everybody listening is like, oh, we all struggle with that. But for me, the struggle is not just not in asking, but that I'm also, I, over my lifetime, have cultivated a very calm and unflappable persona. So I am not a person who, you need to know me extraordinarily well to know that I, that I actually am like overwhelmed or stressed or really in need of help. Like most people who think they know me oftentimes don't know when that's the case. So it's, it's an extra layer. It is really, I'm sure there was other negative feedback, although I was pretty great therapist in graduate school, (laughs) but it is the one piece of like clinical feedback. Um, And it wasn't so much about working with clients, but you know, when, for those people who are not therapists, who don't know when you're in, when you're a therapist and you're in graduate school and you're learning, at least in my school and in a lot of programs, you either videotape your therapy sessions or in my school, there was a lot of like live supervision. So people are watching. Okay. Yeah. And so the number one piece of feedback I got was you always look like you have it together and you know what the next step is, which means that your supervisor is not going to call and rescue you. If you don't say, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm worried about this. These are my concerns nobody's going to jump in. And like, that's something that, I mean, that was much longer ago than I care to have to admit to. And it's still something I am acutely aware of that I'm like, oh, I still don't do that well. Despite the fact that literally my job is spent helping other people get really good at asking for help and making themselves, allowing themselves to be vulnerable so that they can have deeper connection. 
Yeah. No, I I love that you and I love that you shared you shared that, right? And that's like I've been working on my vulnerability. Look at me. I love it. So what's really funny, not funny, but like you run a business where you have a lot of I mean, you run a thriving therapy practice that has multiple offices and multiple therapists and support staff and a marketing like you really like you not not that solopreneurs don't really run a business because I'm just a solopreneur. That really, but like you like run an actual brick and mortar multi-office business with lots of different layers of support. So how has that impacted you as a CEO of your business? I think as we grew, it became more apparent for me. And that's where like sort of the problems were. Like when we were small, it was a smaller practice and I kind of did most of the things and oversaw most of the things it was much easier for me to just be like, well, I've got it. And I've got like, because that was my job. And so as I began to like actually build out like a management team, an executive level team, and I have people in place to manage things, being able to let things go and also being able to say, hey, like, I don't have the bandwidth for this. I can't do this. Can you do it? I forgot about something. Like even just acknowledging when like I didn't do something that I needed to do, all of those things are really difficult. And so having to like really work at that and be able to say, oh, okay, well, here's the deal, guys. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think stepping more and more into that is really what's helped you succeed in your yeah. business, right? Because do you think without doing that, that you would be? No, where you no. Are, I, yeah, I mean, I absolutely need it. I absolutely need to be able to lean on the people who are around to help me because I am good at being able to see what other people bring to the table. So I got this amazing team of people. And then I was back to like, how do we get into our own way? I was in my own way because I have my own internal narrative about if I ask for help, A, people don't want to help me. And B, that means that I am not doing, I'm not as good at this thing that I am trying to be good at basically. Yeah, no, I totally relate to that. So we're getting to like the last two questions that I've got. Well, the last question I've got for you, then we're going to go into like what I call the rapid bullet point, like the laser or whatever. I I haven't named it. I need to name it where it's just like I ask you questions and you just have to like answer them really quickly. But um, so let's talk about another project that you work on called Therapy is Not a Dirty Word, right? Which is like um, you founded Therapy is Not a Dirty Word, which is something outside and separate Mm -hmm. from your practice of group therapy associates. Tell us a little bit about that. How did therapy is not a dirty word begin? And what is the concept behind it? Because these conversations, right? And I even said in the last episode at the end, I said, look, like I went to the the teletherapy, but you yeah. know, I would have gone to you if you weren't my like BFF <laughs> and like, you know, all these conflicts. But like I said, women entrepreneurs especially are good at getting together and talking about the pitfalls of growing their business. Like, what are you doing for marketing? And what are you doing for this? And like, hey, like, how are you reaching this goal? And what are you doing to keep your habits going? But not having these kinds of conversations necessarily, these deeper conversations. Like, to me, therapy is not a dirty word, right? Really embodies like the need to have these conversations in every, it's not a dirty word, in everyday environment. Own it. Don't be ashamed of it. But how did you come up with this idea and what is it that it really provides to people? Um, So basically, it started kind of as this like social media campaign. I was like, oh, this is catchy. And like, obviously, as a therapist and running a mental health business, we're always about reducing stigma. But what I am most passionate about is really improving access. 
And part of access is helping people feel more comfortable that like we can have these conversations about anything. We can talk about therapy. We can talk about your mental health. We can talk about like your relationship, like all of the, because that's the stuff that's like matters most. Listen, I love my business is extraordinarily important to me, but at the end of the day, the things that matter most are like how I feel about myself, how I feel in my relationships, my overall just sort of like emotional and mental well-being. That's the kind of foundational stuff. And so I really wanted to, because I think I work in an industry where we have, we have conflated confidentiality with secrecy. And so a yeah. lot of what we do doesn't get discussed in really open, like easy forums. And like, but I have a ton of friends who are therapists. They are fun and funny and we go out for happy hours and we like, and in the same way, when I get together with my friends who run businesses and we talk about things like, what are you doing for marketing and how's your email list? And I'm looking for, you know, new office space or whatever. When I get together with my friends who are therapists or who are just, who are in kind of that relationship and emotional wellness space, we talk about things like, how's your dating going? And like, what's going on with your kid? And like, how are you, like, what's your self-care like? And like, oh, you mentioned that you were struggling with vulnerability. How's that going? Because that's the language of our business. And so I really wanted to be able to like bring my own personal experience into settings where for people who've never had that experience and to help other therapists who don't do that for any variety of reasons to get out of their offices and to sort of recognize like there are entire communities of people who want the opportunity to learn more. And some of those people will become clients. Some of them won't, but they'll tell their sister or their cousin or their coworker about therapy in general as like, and that to me, that is like, it's, it is my passion project all the time because it from taking stigma yeah, out of therapy. Yeah. Are you taking the stigma out of now? This is is this mainly in the Washington DC area? Is this only in the DC area for right now or is it other places? We are we do stuff in other places. So um in DC, it's second Tuesday of every month at the yard, which is for those of you in the DC area are familiar with DC is over by Eastern Market. We do a happy hour there every single month, second Tuesdays. I've recently just begun a community of other like-minded therapists and practices called the Therapy is Not a Dirty Word Collective. And so those people are in everywhere from New York to LA to Germany, like they're all over the place. And so I am slowly making my world tour (laughs) and visiting their cities (laughs) and hosting. And very slowly right now because of the coronavirus. Yes, very, very slowly. (laughs) But, um, and, and in the past I've done them. So like we've had, we've done the happy hours in LA and in Philly and um, London, some other cities. Um, and similarly, we do other things. So like we, I do a one day dating retreat. We do a one day intensive, like couples retreat. The couples retreat is in DC twice this year. The singles retreat will be in DC. It'll also be in Los Angeles. Um, so, so yeah. how can people find out about these events? Like, where do they go? You can go to therapy is not a dirty word.com. You can find out about everything. Uh, we are on all the social medias. But I would say that both personally as Esther B. MFT and then also as a practice, as a business, therapy is not a dirty word. We're probably most active on Instagram, um, but you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. YouTube, we have a lot of videos. We're sort of slowly like refreshing a lot of content. But if you want to like everything from, we do something once a month called Read, Listen, Watch, 
which comes out in our newsletter, where mm-hmm. therapists from my practice, we talk about something to either read, listen, or watch. And it's not just like self-help books. It's like yeah. somebody just did a video on, what is it on? I can't remember the title, but it was like, a, it's a really great show on Netflix that has nothing to do with therapy, but it's a great example yeah. of like family dynamics and like, you can learn a lot by watching. Oh, that's great. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. And maybe you'll do some virtual events in the week of and we, coronavirus yes. right and we now, do, right? Yeah, we, we <laughs> definitely offer teletherapy and we will probably end up doing some virtual events okay. because, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, um, okay, so let's get to some of these. So this is like, don't overthink, just answer like really quickly, okay. whatever comes I'm to ready. your mind, right? What do you wish you had known when you first started your business? That I am just as competent a CEO as I am a therapist. I love it. <laughs> what podcasts are on your podcast playlist? Oh, uh the read thirst aid kit your podcast obviously and the sidewalk talk podcast oh and my own podcast with that being and your own podcast which is called what that being said said, yeah with that being said um what books are on your nightstand too many to name um all right i'm gonna everything i can remember right now five personality Mm -hmm. patterns seeking attention you were born for this. My year of rest and relaxation. Temple of my familiar. Oh, I wrote down two titles. <laughs> I'm gonna look at those. What is a what is a life motto that you love to live by? I keep saying I'm gonna change it, but I never do. Say yes and then figure it out. I stole it from Tina Fey. <laughs> yeah, I mean Tina Fey is pretty incredible. Yeah. So, what's one piece of advice that you have to listeners, right, around what we've talked about today, around all the concepts we've talked about? If you gave them one piece of advice, one piece of advice: stay curious. Stay curious about who you are, about what you need, about where your passions lie, and about the path ahead of you. And if they do nothing but take one tiny step, one action after listening to this podcast, what should the action be? Talk to one person in your life that you trust about how you feel your, how you would rank your level of self-love currently in life or what self-love means to you. Yeah. No. T- so just talk to somebody. Basically, so I love it. It's easy somebody. enough. Like, I mean, hard enough, but easy yeah. enough. So thank you so much, Esther. If people want to find out, we said where people can go to find out more about therapy is not a dirty word. And obviously we're going to put all of your links in the show notes, but if people want to learn more about you and your therapy and group therapy associates, where do they go? How do they go find more information? If you want to learn more about therapy, go to grouptherapyassociates.com. And if you want to learn more about me, the best thing to do is probably just go follow me on Instagram. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Esther loves the I Instagram. Love, I love the <laughs> No, it's good. It's good, though. It's good. So cool. Thank you so much for being here, Esther. It's been fun. And everyone, I will see you next week on another episode of the Read and Mimi page. Before you go, thank you for listening to my show. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And leave a review. It'll only take you a second, but it will help other people discover the Read and Mimi Do It show. And my goal is to share this business-boosting and life-changing content with as many people as possible. In fact, because I value your time so much, every month, one reviewer will win a free coaching call with me. So if you want to get laser-focused and go all-in on the results that you most want in your business, then leave a review now. And then head on over to readamimidoit.com where you can find the show notes from today's episode.